0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, reminding you to join Scotty and Hans Friday from noon to 3 at the Mountainland Valley View Pro-Am at Valley View Golf Course, 2501 East Gentile Street in Layton. See Utah's best pros in action by joining Scotty and Hands Friday from noon to 3 at the Valley View Golf Course. We're joined now in studio by Mark Madsen, UVU basketball coach.
1: Coach, how you doing? DJ, doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. How long have you known PK? Well, I'm I'm trying to think here. I I think we we talked five years ago. I mean, we've been, we've know, been knowing each other for a little while. I remember
2: interviewing you a first time down in Tucson. The uh, Utes were. I used to work for the Salt Lake Tribune. Yeah. And so I was covering the Utes, and you guys had just beaten uh, Wake Forest and Tim Duncan. And so you would. I knew you guys in those days. Unlike today, with the the whatever they call them, the not the quads, what do they call them, DJ, when they they set teams up, but they're not necessarily the same bracket in the NCAA tournament, and yeah. pods uh, pods. There you go, thank you. And so I knew that you guys would be playing if the Utes were going to win that game. So after the game, because you guys played first, I went in the locker room and talked to you uh, about. Uh, You know, obviously we knew you were LDS, and when I I first got here, I I worked at the Daily Breeze, you might be familiar with, down in the South Bay in California. And uh, so I got up here in 93, and I started getting these faxes in the fall of 93, is why isn't BYU offering or recruiting Mark Matson hard enough? And I had no idea who Mark, Mark Matson was. <laughs> and I don't know who was sending me these facts. What, what year did you graduate high school? 94. 94, yeah. right. So yeah. it would have been the, the fall of your senior year. Right. right. Well, then that was my introduction to Mark Matson, <laughs> And then years later, you're on that team. It's going to go to the Final Four. And you're one of the players, one of the best players on the team. So I sat down with an, an interview. I did, did an interview with you then. And then um, a year or so later... Uh, well, whenever following your senior year, they had a camp down at ASU in Tempe and Alex Jensen was there yeah. and I went down to do the thing on Alex Jensen in the camp and you were there. So I did another story on you leading into your what was going to be your NBA career. Yeah. So and then we followed you ever since, obviously. And now here you are.
1: Man, time flies. Yeah. I, I, I'm still recovering from, uh, you, you know, we actually played against University of Utah in the Sweet 16. Yeah. the, the uh, I think two years before our Final Four. And, man, still recovering from that loss. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> still, and it was in overtime in it was San overtime, Jose. San Jose. Yeah. It, it was crazy because nobody could stop our offense that year. We had Brevin Knight at the point. Yeah, and, I remember it. And, and Mike Montgomery just ran a great system an awesome system that that literally nobody could figure out. I'll, I'll say this for that one game Majeris figured it out. I mean we we're, we're, we're running our stuff and and what you know just the Utah players were taking us out of our stuff. Yeah, he was a defensive mastermind. It was it was impressive. It was impressive.
0: So how much of that do you rely on now that you're coaching? I mean, you got this stuff, you got it all in your head, you yeah. got years of practice, but we keep hearing you know, the game has changed and guys shoot the three more, and there's way more pick-and-roll run now than there ever was before. Some of that's trickling down to the college game, but not as completely as it's overtaken a pro game. So where are you in the middle of all that, and what are we going to see at UVU?
1: Well, I, I think right now at UVU, first of all, there's a few things we're definitely going to run. And so we've put, we've put those things in. We've been installing those, those actions in those frameworks this summer from an offensive side and a defensive side. But still, you know, there's a few other things I'm still toying with in my mind and tinkering with because, to me, you got to figure out what your players do great, and then you got to put them in the position to be successful. You know, the mid-range game is, is, is really kind of right now, that's what every team in the NBA is allowing. That they're allowing the mid range because there's very few great mid range shooters out there, um, and so. But you look at Kevin Durant; he's an awesome mid range shooter, <laughs> and so you can't give Kevin Durant the mid range. Well, in terms of UVU, I'm. I'm. We have some great players down there, and I'm still getting to know what they do best and how I can plug plug them into different actions that will really showcase their skills.
2: So you played at the highest levels in college, professionally, and had a ton of influences that I'm sure have molded you. Can you speak to who's influenced you the most, whether it be peers, coaches, whomever, that has molded your philosophies to be what they are?
1: Well, I I think my first NBA coach, being Phil Jackson, what I loved about him is that Obviously, the triangle offense is unbelievable. To run it today, it probably generates a little bit too many uh, long twos. To to be honest, yeah, yeah, you you know, you can tweak it and generate threes. But the thing that was great about the the triangle offense is that it was a system, so you knew where your shots were going to come from. And you could even you could have the ball on the wing. Phil Jackson called that the high wing catch. He called that the key spot. From the key spot, you could almost close your eyes. I mean, the triangle offense is crazy because you you could almost close your eyes and you knew exactly where the other four players on the court were going to be. that, that That was a beautiful thing. And everybody that has played in the triangle offense loved it because there was continuity there was a system there was you just knew where everyone was going to be so that's one side of the spectrum the other side of the spectrum is a lot of people like random motion offense and i use the word random cuz it's not really random you know motion offense whether it's the nba or college coaches will put in certain principles certain actions and then it's all reads yeah really powerful hard to scout because there is that element of randomness to it but the flip side is you know, it's just at the other end of the spectrum. You might throw a pass and you might be throwing it to the corner and it goes out of bounds because there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. Whereas in other systems, you know where the players are going to be. So,
0: the motion offense, though, guys really don't like to get hit and guys don't want to defend. Right. And my coach used a politically incorrect word that Rick Majeris might have used to describe <laughs> that player and said, There's always one on the court. We just have to find him. Yeah. And we were. Now, you may, have, you may be loaded with great athletes at UVU, but my high school team, we were, our best players were mediocre, and then it went down from there. And so to run a system like that, and we were short. We were the shortest high yeah. school team ever. I was a tall guy. Right. I'm six feet tall. It shouldn't have been a tall guy, right? There's yeah. there no tall guys in the school. There were 2,500 kids. Yeah, you were the center. You, you, and I was, <laughs> fortunately, I'd started really tiny. So I was right. a point guard. I was just kind of embedded there. But I could have been in another situation. And so he said, well, we'll run the motion offense. We'll screen everybody. Somebody didn't want to be screened. Yeah. They'll cheat. You'll go back door. It's the only way we're going to get shots.
1: Well, I think I think there's a lot of positive things about the yeah. motion offense. You know, we're we're not going to run a steady diet of motion. I, I don't know I, I don't know how to teach motion very well because I've never I've you never, didn't have to run it I didn't, I didn't yeah. have to run it yeah. I've never coached it I've never I've never been through it. But but that being said, there are certain aspects of motion that we will look at, but but we're not going to run it. You know, eighty ninety percent of the time. But that that concept that people don't want to be screened, I think, is
0: why the pick and roll is taken off because it's a similar deal. You can find the worst matchup. Guys don't want to get hit. You can flow from one pick-and-roll into another pick-and-roll. So it kind of gets rid of the worst of the motion and gets guys threes. Are, are you going to
1: be shooting a gazillion threes? Is that the way the game's gone? We want to generate open threes. I mean, And I've told the guys, I've said, guys, if you come down, I don't care if it's the first five seconds of the shot clock, if you're a three-point shooter and if you've proven, to that, proven that to us over the summer that you can knock down threes, if you're open in the first five or ten seconds, it's going up. That being said, if you're not open and if you're going to try to launch a contested three, I do not want that. I do not want that, and and, and we'll talk about that. Um, But getting back to what you're saying about guys not wanting to to get hit, you're exactly right. Uh, The the level of physicality, I think, overall in the game of basketball, I I, I think it's gone down over the last five or ten years. That's fine. I I mean, that's good. But conversely, offensive players a lot of times don't want to hit either. And so when you get some guys that are physical, and to be honest with you, we do have a group of physical players at Utah Valley. It makes a difference because, you know, you may not be able to really smack somebody on the perimeter, but Mm -hmm. off-ball screens, yes, you can hit.
2: Because of your background, obviously playing at Stanford, going to the Final Four, and then with the Lakers, you know, your name and your personality and your dance on the steps and all that <laughs> you became you became famous basically you know people know Mark Matson's name and then you go into coaching as you are now embarking on your first head coaching job at Utah Valley University How much of that can you utilize, or is that really not anything that that kids are interested in, that you have this name and have all sorts of, I'll use the word Rolodex, nobody uses it anymore, but have all sorts of huge NBA names that you can tap
1: into at a given moment? Well, I think what, what I've noticed just being at UVU and getting out and recruiting, a lot of the guys, being from California... I mean, now I'm reaching out to a lot of the AAU coaches, high school coaches in California. A lot of them are my age. Right. Some of them I played against. Sure. You, you know, a lot of the agents out there, not that we're talking a ton of agents, but a lot of times agents have information on, on guys, especially transfers. Yeah. You, you know, so a, a, as we're, you know, throwing out a recruiting net, I mean, there are a lot of people that just, you know, because you, you've been around, you've right. played against a lot of the guys. So that's been helpful. That's been helpful, you, you know. Going to LA, you, you know, walking into a high school gym and and seeing a coach. Wait, we played against each other ten years ago, uh-huh. and, and so there's a connection. So, how hard is a recruiting deal? Because your background
0: is so professional oriented, yeah, and now. Recruiting, I mean, we hear from coaches all the time recruiting's 90% of the deal. Yeah. It's like picking teams at recess, you know, if you pick the best players, you can run whatever system <laughs> you want. You got the best players. <laughs> so, so how, how much is there from learning the NCAA rulebook, which there's a thousand things to trip you up there, to building all these relationships and networks and getting people to trust you?
1: Well, it's funny. When I was in the NBA, people would talk about the college game and everyone would say, "Hey, the one thing about college, in college, you spend 80% of your time doing things that are not directly Xs and Os." And I thought to myself, that that, that can't be true. It can't be 80%. <laughs> <laughs> well, well there was a week in June when we were gearing up for camp and and, and you know, we had a little bit of turnover. We had Basically, we have five players coming back from last year's team, which means I need to go out and bring in at least ten new players. A combination of walk-on scholarships. So, I'm out recruiting. You know, we're getting our, our staff member to town. Ta- our staff members to town, and so we're doing so many things. I, I, I turned to my wife one day. I said, "I said, honey, literally, I have not thought about X's and O's for two weeks because I've been so busy recruiting, doing academics, preparing for camp." and now as the rest of the staff came into town that changed but but that's a challenge because in the NBA you literally sit there you're just doing x's and o's every single day x's and o's and player relationships in the NBA that that's 95% of your time you might do a golf tournament you know <laughs> and, and go swing the clubs twice a year but but that's it but I actually like the college aspect because you know I enjoy talking to professors I enjoy talking with parents you, you know I was in the shoes of a lot of these players that are in high school right now. I wanted to be recruited. I I wanted to go to the school that was going to be the best fit for me. Um, One thing that we're really trying to focus on at Utah Valley is player development. Player development. Player development. In the NBA, we had a trend where, really at the Lakers, we were drafting 19-year-olds. Sometimes 18-year-olds. And so we were working with with young players and now you you we're recruiting 16 17 18 year olds so so that piece has been a little bit consistent working with young players and I love it
2: so you say you love that mark and that's obviously the road you've chosen at what point in the arc when you're coaching in the NBA did you think college might be something that I would enjoy well
1: you know truthfully I love the NBA game because you're working with the best players in the world. Certainly, I mean, over the seven years, six or seven years with the Lakers, we coached Kobe Bryant, we coached LeBron. So there's something amazing about that, and we coached them. And but then you're sitting there, you really learn so much. Conversely, from the players, yeah, I mean, you learn so much. I'll never forget, we were we were getting ready to play the Portland Trailblazers, and we were talking about pick and roll coverage against Damian Lillard. And as a coaching staff, we had watched. Hours and hours and hours of film and and we had our ideas and we and, and we were bouncing it off Rondo and lebron and 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 they ha had ideas also that, that that were different that were different and so we're we're sitting there debating with them talking about the pros and cons and it's just it's it's beautiful when you can ask the players what they think you, you know but but that's just so interesting to me that here you have a staff you, you know so many years of experience and, and look the funny thing is. When Portland played the Warriors, you saw the same thing. Because uh-huh. after one of the games, all the Portland players were saying, why were we in a deep drop? Well, that that had been successful for Portland the entire season. And But I think that dialogue between players and coaches is the best. I think it's the best.
0: Mark Madsen, UVU basketball coach, joining us. It's one thing to be in, uh, in dialogue with LeBron. I mean, the guy's played 45,000 minutes, so that's just... I don't even know how many pick-and-rolls that guy's either <laughs> right. either run or tried to defend. But when you're doing that with an 18- or 19-year-old who, even if he's done it, hasn't done it at this level against better athletes, bigger, taller, longer, quicker guys, how
1: similar is that? Well, I, I think the one thing that really translates is, is the footwork piece of things. Um, what I tell our guys every day, I say, guys, th- the game is a beautiful game. If you can learn to improve your footwork, whether you're a point guard or, or a center, it makes the game so much easier And just, you know, you're almost like a bricklayer, just just laying bricks, building a foundation, building a foundation, repetition, repetition. And so then when you get into a game, if you've you've practiced the footwork, Steve Nash used to come out and he used to, you know, he used to talk to the younger point guards about how he felt, you know, some keys to coming off the pick and roll. And, And one simple thing, he said, guys, when you come off the pick and roll, take your left arm grab your, off your fellow big man's uh, le- uh, left leg and, and, and hold it there. And, and then he said, look at, the, look at my defender. Is there any way my defender can fight through that when I basically form a vice grip with my big man's leg? And he <laughs> right. said, no. And, and how many point guards in the NBA even use that? Not everybody. Because you sit there and you break down the film. Not every point guard uses that trick. So there's a, there's a lot of tr- uh, tricks, techniques and footwork that can make the game so much easier for young players. What do you think
2: made you an NBA player?
1: I was talking to a teammate of mine in Minnesota, Fred Hoiberg, who who was actually the head coach of the Bulls two years ago or last year. And I said, Fred, Mike Montgomery truly helped put me in the NBA. And Mike and I Mike and I battled on a couple of things during the four years, but but not much. Because what Mike Montgomery was great at is he would, he would look at you as a player and he would say, okay, this player is, is, is good at X, Y, and Z. We are going to put him in positions where he does X, Y, and Z. So for me, he basically had me set a flex screen and then duck into the middle of the paint. And, and, and my teammates, Mike Montgomery's system, I got the ball one foot away from the basket. And, and that just that kind of taught me the importance of, get the ball close to the rim and shoot it. It, it sounds so basic. Yeah. It sounds so basic. But then on the, on the flip side of the coin, in Minnesota, uh, I, yeah. I, was, I was there and we threw it into Michael Olawakandy, who would, who would always run to the block. And, and, and you know, I remember Sam Cassell, our point guard, said, Mike, the hardest thing in the NBA is to catch the ball a foot or two off the block with a man directly behind you and to try to score. It's the hardest thing to do. And so Mike Montgomery would put everyone in a position where it was easy to score. Mark
0: Madsen, UVU basketball coach, former Laker, former Stanford Cardinal. We will talk more with him next. It's 97-5 and 1280 the zone.
3: The big show
1: Which is more likely, BYU winning eight games or BYU beating
0: Utah? BYU beating Utah. Yeah, I agree with that because that's a one-time deal. You're playing on your home field. Are the Utes the better team? I think they are. But sometimes emotion can make up for lack of talent. I expect them to win at least one of those first four games. And I think that's fair to expect. If they start the season one and three, I wonder what that does for them. I'm
1: not sure I'm seeing where those eight wins are coming from.
3: If you've missed any of the big show, go to 1280 The Zone. Zone.com. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and
0: 1280 The Zone. Check out the Tour of Utah podcast. Tune in to Tour of Utah. The podcast is at 1280thezone.com, and the podcast includes tips for how to train for the summer of cycling and where best to see the Tour of Utah in action. Mark Madsen, UVU basketball coach, joining us in studio. Um... You're the UV coach, and you played in the NBA forever, so we got a million questions, a million stories, and you've interacted with really interesting people over time. Phil Jackson was hated here, mostly because his teams came in and won. His Bulls came in and won twice. His Lakers came in and knocked out in the uh, kind of Kobe, uh, Gasol, Lamar, Otomara three times in four years. They knocked the Jazz out. People got sick of losing to Phil Jackson. <laughs> One Phil Jackson story. What is Phil like? What do people not know
1: about Phil? You know, there's so many stories about Phil. I'm trying to figure out, and they're all good, but but I'm just trying to figure out what I I should say on the radio here. <laughs> um, you know, I'll tell you this story about Phil. So my, what year was this? My third year, the Lakers chose not to pick up my option. I had just had a phenomenal summer league. And Phil even said it. He called me and said, Mark, you were unbelievable in summer league and i'm thinking pick up my option pick up my option <laughs> there was no talk of the option <laughs> you know so then the season starts and we actually started struggling that year we started struggling um th- there were you know a few team dynamic issues and stuff like that and so i was frustrated we we had lost a, a, a lot of games um for for our standard at that time what and, what year is this this was uh 2002 2003 okay okay so
0: So Shaq and Kobe have won three titles. They had won three. And you're not going to win the fourth, and you're telling us there were team dynamic issues. Okay, I can fill in the blanks. Well, we thought (laughs) we
1: still could win the fourth. Right, sure. But but we were sitting in the fourth or fifth playoff spot, and we were losing. And so I was frustrated, and I thought to myself, okay, i got to get up the courage. Go up and talk to Phil Jackson. And so I literally had gotten in the car and left the facility. I'm like, no, have the courage. Do Do it. So I go back to the facility. I was two minutes away. I go up the stairs, and I... I go up to Phil's secretary, Kristen. I said, Kristen, I would like to meet with Phil. She's said, okay, take a seat. And so I go in there, and, and I said, Phil, listen, you're the head coach. I support every decision you make. But I'm watching the game. No one's sprinting back on defense. I said, we're playing with no energy. These are things I'm good at. I'm good at running back on defense. I'm good at playing with energy. I, I know I can help take away layups when the other teams are just running up our back and getting layups. And so I'm sitting there basically saying, Phil, I want more minutes, but if you don't give me minutes, I'm still going to support you. Is And so I get it off my chest, and Phil says, you know, Mark, he said, I have to tell you, my family and I, we had an amazing vacation to Greece this summer. We were out uh, snorkeling, scuba diving in Greece. It was amazing. We were there with two other groups, two other families, and my kids were there. A great time. So then I'm thinking, wait, I'm asking for minutes. <laughs> and I, and I'm, and I'm hearing oh, I'm a story s- about Greece. Snorkeling in Greece. <laughs> you, you know, but the Greece story went on for 10 or 15 minutes. And, and, and so I'm just listening. And, and, and the one thing about Phil, Phil is a master psychologist. So I don't know if he was testing me or what, but I, I enjoyed hearing about Greece, but I really wanted minutes. And so, and so then I'm thinking, okay. He must have heard what I said. I'm hearing what he says. It's probably time for me to leave. But at, but at the end, he just said, I hear you on the minutes thing. He said, look, you might end up playing less than now. And I said, okay, I respect that. But the, pr- the problem is I, was, I wasn't I was playing very much. So how do I play less? <laughs> so I thanked him for his time. And then the next game happened, didn't play. Next game didn't play. But then the third or fourth game after our meeting, he starts playing me. and And, you know... We our defense got better. We started winning a few games, not because of me, but I think just taking away layups helped, um, and, and we started winning some games. And, and so, but I'll never forget that. You, you know, why was Phil? <laughs> why did he talk to you about Greece? Because he just didn't want to give you an answer right then. Maybe, maybe that's what it was. Just buying himself time while he thought about it. Yeah. But the one thing that Phil always did, which I've tried to incorporate in my coaching style, is Phil was not afraid to go at Shaq. He was not afraid to go at Kobe. He just wasn't. You know, He would sit there. He would get in arguments with them. He would go back and forth with them. Um, one time we're sitting there in the team room, and, and Phil said to, to Shaq, Phil said, Shaq, we need you to play better pick-and-roll defense. Other teams, they're just putting you in pick-and-roll every single time. And Shaq said, man, you want, me to, you want me to score 30? You want me to get 20 rebounds, five block shots, and play pick-and-roll defense? And then Brian Shaw stepped up, and then Brian Shaw said, yeah, that's why you're getting paid $30 million. <laughs> But, But, I mean, Shaq was a great player, a great guy, but Phil was never afraid to stand up to the superstars.
2: So who needs to have the vulnerability in that situation? Is it the player or the coach? Because you could also just not confront it, and almost to the point of ignore it, but somebody's got to put himself out there.
1: You, I mean, someone does have to put themselves out there. Um, and, and, I mean, PK, I'll tell you this. there, I've been on some teams where no one talks about the elephant in the room. Right. No, nobody. <laughs> um, I think one thing that helped with the Lakers, we had a team psychologist who was there one or two weeks out of every month. And, and so... It was, we were going through some drama at some point and George Mumford is his name and he was actually Dr. J's roommate in college and he, unbelievable psychologist. I mean, I say psychologist, really he would come around and he would just mess with the guys, you you know, man, you gotta make a shot, man, that was a nice spin move. (laughs) So he'd build this relationship with you to the point where then when you were frustrated and needed to vent, you would go to George and you would say, George. I'm mad at Shaq. I'm mad at Phil. And then he would talk you through it. But one time George said, man, we, have you, he said, have you ever heard the parable of the white elephant? And I said, the parable of the white elephant? <laughs> I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He said, I'll tell you what the parable of the white elephant is. Everyone's in a room and everyone knows there's a white elephant in the room, you know, basically filling up the room with, with elephant dung, but no one's doing anything about it. And if no one talks about it before you know, we're all going to be up to our neck mm-hmm. in elephant dung. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> there it is. So uh,
0: I'm curious about this because now, but we were of the opinion doing the show, that's when we started doing the show basically is when the Lakers had three straight titles. Right. And, you know, people here hate the Lakers for decades <laughs> for because they come in and they win. I, I you know, it's just and there's enough Californians here that after the Lakers leave, there's still Laker fans here rubbing it in. Right. So right. That, that combination just drives everyone insane. If, I always thought that Shaq and Kobe knew exactly what the flaw was with each other. If Kobe... If Shaq had lost the 30 to 40 pounds, it would have made it easier from defend to pick and roll and defended to pick and roll. I mean, he was already awesome. I don't know what word I would have put in front of awesome that he would have been had he done that. And with Kobe, it's kind of like, I know you want to be the guy, and you think you can be the guy, and you probably can be the guy, but while Shaq is here, just be the second guy. You're younger, and you can win five, six, seven titles with Shaq, and father time's undefeated, and then you'll be the guy. It won't be Shaq who gets Bill Russell. It'll be you, yeah. and they eventually made the Gasol deal, and he won the five titles. But we both feel like it could have been six, seven, eight, or nine. T- I mean, how could that have happened? Did that ever get discussed that bluntly? There, I mean, that's the elephant in the room. I, that that pro- that was the elephant in the room. I, I, I think because Shaq was probably right about Kobe, you should defer to me, and Kobe was right about Shaq. You got to get yourself in better
1: shape. The, what are you doing? You know, I, I mean, they, they were both probably right. Yeah, they, they were both probably right. Um, the one thing about each of those guys is the minute each of one stepped onto the court, they played so hard. I mean, let's forget about back-to-backs, you know, five, you know, four games and five nights on the East Coast. But in general, when each guy stepped onto the court, they played so hard. We had won three championships in a row. And so the fourth year when we were struggling, and look, we got bounced out of the playoffs in the second round. I think it was such a shock to the fans in L.A., to ownership, to us as the players I, I think literally everyone, everyone down there just thought, we have to make a change. We, we have to make a change. Something is wrong here. And so they, they, gave, it, they gave it one more shot uh, when they lost to Detroit in the finals, but then they had to break it up. The funny thing is they got rid of Robert Ory. Well, Robert Ory went on to help San Antonio win a championship. Shaq went to Miami. Shaq wins a the championship there. So in retrospect, you could definitely make a case. Should have kept them together.
2: Since you've played at the highest levels and you've been coaching at the highest levels, how are you going to be able to avoid not expecting these guys that you're trying to teach to grasp everything at the highest levels? Is there going to be any frustration there? Are you prepared for to make sure you've got to allow them to develop at their pace because they're not Shaq, Colby, Steve, Nash, on and on?
1: Well, I mean, <clears throat> so, so two things come to mind there. Even in the NBA, sometimes we would we would show tape to guys collectively and individually. We would say, "Hey, your pick and roll coverage is is looking like this. It should look like this," and, and it would take guys time. The benefit of the NBA is you really get 90 games a year. You get 90 chances a year when you when you add up the preseason, roughly. You know, in college, you get you get 30 games, yeah. and so there is a learning curve. You know, there is a learning curve. You know, I'm not going to do it perfectly with the players, and that's one of the first thing I first things I told the guys. I said, guys, just so you know, I'm going to make mistakes as the head coach this year. You, you know, I, I'm going to do do some things right. I'm going to do some things wrong. Guess what? That's going to be the same with you guys. You guys are going to make do some amazing things. You're going to make some mistakes too. We need to create an environment where we we are just trying so hard to be the best team we can be. You have to be able to, you know, basically. Look past it and come talk. When I make a mistake, come talk to me. We'll work it out. When you make a mistake, I'll do the same. And we have to be patient with each other, and we have to really work together on that because that's every team. That's every organization. Mark Madsen, UVU basketball coach, joining us
0: here. So, you know, you told us earlier you're going to be all about player development, and certainly the NBA has gotten – I mean, they've just invested heavily in player development over the last decade. But in college – I mean, guys are transferring all the time. Yeah. We always have coaches, and every year we do interviews. Do you guys realize 500 guys transferred this year, and then a couple <laughs> of years later? Do you realize 600 D1 college basketball players transferred this year? Do you guys, I mean, the number just gets bigger yeah. every year. So when you're only working with guys, whether they're transferring into your program or out of your program, and I think UVU's had plenty of both, yeah. you don't get that long to develop skills
1: with them. How, do, how does that work? It's a huge challenge, because even right now, we get the guys for four hours a week. Period. On the court, they get four hours in the weight room, four hours on the court, eight hours total, right? And, and the bottom line is, I'm not breaking the rules. I'm, I'm just not. I'm not going to do it. When, when I took the job at Utah Valley, the athletic director Jared Sumption, the president, they said, "Guys, they said whatever you do, we want you to be compliant." So I'm going to be compliant. But it's funny because our compliance director, Adam Staf, came in last week um, just to do a seminar on compliance, and and I said. I said, Adam, now, if a player initiates, if a player texts me and says, I want to come watch film with you right now, I said, does that count against the four hours? And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking he's going to say no. He said, absolutely. It counts against the four <laughs> hours. And so luckily we hadn't gone over that week. But uh, I mean, that's frustrating to me. That's frustrating. Because if a player wants to get better, in theory, in the NBA, you can, you can sit there for two hours and watch tape with the player. But now, what I have to do in college is I basically sit down and I just, we talk about it. We talk for a while, you know. Just if a player initiates it, we can talk about anything, you know. Then when I open up that screen, if I've got 20 clips, I got to show them the 20 clips in five minutes, <laughs> you know. And so you just have to, you have to compress it.
2: We saw that uh, Mark Pope had Rick Pitino show up, you know, a little name dropping. Who are you going to name drop? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I, I don't want to say it publicly right now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to a lot of people. And I'm going to, you know, I've already put, put a few things out to, I, I, to a few people. And I said, hey, come to Utah, come to Utah Valley, stay at the house. You know, schedules, schedules can be difficult for different people, but, but we're going to bring some people in. And I, I really want our players to learn from the best, you, you know, whether it's a former coach, a former player. Um, I want them to have that opportunity.
0: Is recruiting as brutal as we've heard? I haven't
1: been told about coaches cheating since yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there's, there's in any job, there are things you like and dislike for me. Travel is something I don't love. My wife and I, we have a two year old. I love spending time with, with my wife and my son. So travel is something I do not like recruiting conversations with, with young players and parents is something I really enjoy. It's just something I enjoy. Now, what the, the challenge for me is right now we're recruiting a lot of different people because we have to because they might choose somewhere else so we can't just recruit one guy so to the extent that i'm rec- that i'm recruiting 10 or 20 or 30 guys and if it if it takes too much time you know that that's a challenge because really my biggest priority is our players in the program right now that's my biggest priority and so if I find myself spending too much time on the phone, you know I, I want to spend the bulk of my time with our players in the program right now. All
0: right, one more segment with Mark Manson coming up next. The UVU basketball coach. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280
3: The Zone. Three, two, one, one. The countdown is back on The Zone Sports Network. It's the fifth annual college football top 60 and 60.
0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Mark Manson join us in studio for an hour. Third and final segment here. Just so you know, you're, you're getting rave reviews on Twitter right now. <laughs> the people, they want more, they want more. It's like, oh, he's got to go recruit. He's got to go watch film. He's got stuff to do. He can't talk to us forever. Um, what has been the biggest surprise? Because you spend your – I mean, you, you played college basketball at Stanford, obviously, and you were there when Stanford was really good. Uh, but then you're in the pros for so long. You come back to college. What's been the biggest transition, the biggest wow moment? Like, whoa, deep end of the
1: pool. Didn't know that.
3: Well,
1: okay. So uh, <laughs> when I was coaching college at Stanford, um, you know, sometimes we would get a verbal commitment from, from a player. And, and, and they would say, uh, I asked my coach, I said, once you get a verbal, is it kind of done? He said, he said, in football, when a player gives a verbal, it's open season. Then all the other schools start recruiting that guy. But in, in in college basketball, when a player gives a verbal commitment, all the other schools uh, back off. Well, that remember this is 2012-13, Okay, so at that time, that was kind of so you know we've signed I think six new players, and let me just put it this way: <laughs> there have been there's a situation where we sign somebody, and other schools are calling the player trying to get them to decommit, and so that's the first I've experienced that, and just you know ultimately you know still figuring out. How am i going to deal with that, you know. Now, luckily, we we, we retain the player, but you know, do, do I do I call the other coach? Do I just let it go? Do I then start trying to, when when that school gets a commitment, do they poach them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. So I, so anyway, that was a surprise, but not a big deal. I mean, things happen.
2: So ultimately, in this world of. Athletics, which is obviously a business, you're going to be judged by wins and losses, and you know that—that's no big surprise. But you're a guy who is constantly learning and developing, you know. And having gone to Stanford, the second best academic institution in the conference behind the ASU, you know about you know about developing yourself. I like that, PK. I like that. <laughs> you know about developing yourself intellectually. So, how important is it for you, your guys? I mean, you, they're going to be your guys, and you already know this. To to develop them, they're gonna we're gonna judge them on basketball. But you're gonna be with them all the time. How important is it for you to develop
1: them as human beings? I, th- I think that's actually the most important thing. I mean that that is the most important thing. I will we will not be judged on that as a staff. We won't be judged on how much we develop the players as a human being, and that's okay. That's okay. But but to me, doing the right thing with our players really really striving to be there for them as coaches, as mentors, as friends, that that is number one. That that is just point blank number one. Because you got advanced degrees, didn't you? I, I went back and got an MBA. Right. Yeah. Um and you know, because you can blow out a knee. Yeah. You can tear a shoulder and then you're done. And then you're done. And so you have to have the education to to fall back on. That being said, we'll be judged on one thing, yeah, wins and losses. I know. A- and I'm okay with that, too. I'm okay with that, too. We're, you know, They asked me when when we did the introductory press conference, what is the goal? I'll be, I'll be very clear. The goal is make the NCAA tournament. Okay, If, if I'm sitting here in the, in the studio in three years from now, and if I haven't made the NCAA tournament, you guys hold me accountable. Hold me accountable. I, I, I want the media, the university president, our athletic director, hold me and my staff accountable on wins and losses, point blank.
0: Well, you know, there's a certain cynical amount of the public, and possibly the media, who thinks in three years will be back in the NBA anyway. Well, I mean... You're, I'm sure you get that in negative recruiting. I mean, I, there's yeah negative recruiting is brutal. They will say whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that, that may be said. I, I told my wife the other day, I said, honestly... I love it here. We were able to get Kentucky on the schedule this year. You know, we'll be playing at Kentucky in November. Um, we have some other great games. We're talking to some teams for the following seasons. Some, some great opportunities. And so we'll be playing basketball at a high level in Orm, Utah. And so that for me is exciting. W- whether it's the NBA or college, I love basketball. I love high school basketball. You know, and, and the other thing is, um, there's a lot of great things about the NBA, the travel of the NBA. Is, is hard it's 90 games a year then if you make the playoffs if you go deep in the playoffs it's 120 games a season it's so, a lot says the guy who did that right
2: yeah with that in mind as you go forward how are you going to balance your personal life because you have a young son you you're fairly newly married you've got these young men who are looking after you now as head coach I don't know how much you're being pulled in all these different directions as an assistant in the NBA, but as the leader of the program, you're going to have so many people who want a piece of your time.
1: You're saying something that we're we're living right now. Right. Because I've, I've been brought into Utah Valley to do a job and to really do my best to do a great job. Okay. So ultimately, the most important thing in my life is my family my wife and my son point blank way more important than anything else okay but i take great pride in basketball and so what the compromise my wife and i have right now is i can basically leave the house anytime i want in the morning you know and look sometimes i might leave the house at 7 a.m sometimes as a head coach i told fred hoiberg i said fred as an assistant you know you think about it in the middle of the night sometimes yeah but as a head coach I sometimes wake up at three fifty. I can't go back to sleep. I can't go back to sleep because I'm thinking about, yeah, I've got to bring players in. I, I want to watch tape. are are the X's and O's sound for the team we're we're playing against? And so th- there there are some times when I go into the office incredibly early, and I just have quiet time and peace to to do my job then. When I do that, at five fifteen, I walk out of the office and I go home and, and i have I have dinner with my family. There have been some times when I can't. But but what I can't do is I can't go in it early in the morning and I and I can't I can't miss that time with my family because otherwise I won't see my son at all and I'm going to see my son each day. These are these are the good old days. It is shocking.
0: <laughs> it is shocking how soon he will be driving a car. That's all I can tell you.
1: Well, right now we're just. We're, my son is a great guy, and, and my wife does an amazing job, and, and I try to do a good job. He's he has an aggressive personality, you know. So right now we're trying to temper that, you know. He, he's either all charisma, all fun, or if he gets in a bad mood, I'm trying to tell him, hey, you need to take a deep breath and relax.
2: You have a lot of family in this area, and I know you come from a huge family, if I remember correctly, and we've seen, like, Dave Rose, his brothers were way into the program, Kyle Whittingham, his entire extended family. Uh, how much do you anticipate it and, – and Kyle has built a, – a, which, to his credit, it's helped him in recruiting because he's built that family atmosphere and the players sense it. And I think they're attracted to it. How much do you intend to involve your family, whether it's your in-laws or whomever
1: it might be, your siblings or whoever was around, into your program? I, I want to involve them as much as possible. Now, that being said, I'm one of 10 in my family. Yeah. Not everybody in my family likes basketball. Yeah, that's not. That's just the truth. I, I mean, everyone is very supportive of me, but I, I try to be supportive of them also. Um, I, I have a sister who's a great artist, you, you know, and and I, I have, you know, a brother who, who's a musician. So I want I want to try to support them. They've been great about supporting me, but in terms of getting the entire extended family at every game, that's probably not going to happen. You know, my sister. My sister has seven kids. I nope. mean, she's got a busy life. I mean, her kids are doing great things. So, um, but there, that being said, there's going to be a lot of family support and a lot of extended family support at, at every in the program and at, at, at every game.
0: Mark Madsen, UVU basketball coach, joining us here. You mentioned you're going to go play Kentucky. Uh, once upon a time, we knew a coach who was crazy enough to play Kentucky and Duke <laughs> on consecutive days. You're not signing up for that, I assume.
1: Not quite doing the back to back. Okay. Are, are you finding your
2: name recognition? and scheduling is that helping
1: well here's here's what happened you know so um two two things number one i I, you know just from being in the basketball world i know a lot of other head coaches sure you know and so you're in touch you're trying to figure out what scheduling works so that's one thing but then any any first time head coach you know gets hit up you know guys want to play him you know, first-time head coach. Other teams are thinking, "Hey, you know, maybe he won't be able to get a system in in, in time." Yeah, yeah. You know, so they're calling. You know, my first week, my phone's ringing. You know, and I'm thinking a lot of people want to play us, and then I'm realizing they're trying to. They're realizing this is a first-year coach. Will he be able to get a system in in time? So that's what they're thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Roster and transition right. too. There are all kinds of all kinds of things. You know, I went to a Utah Utah State game there a couple of years ago and it was an awesome atmosphere. The place was packed. It was a close game. It went right down to the wire. The place was going crazy, but there have been a lot of games where it's pretty empty there, and I know that they have been building apartments around there. Yeah. You just have to drive down the freeway. You see that, and so maybe less of a commuter school, more an on-campus or even right next to campus kind of student yeah. body, which gives you a better chance to draw, to create an atmosphere which you know recruits want to play and is front of, you know, they, they want to feel important, right. so they want that gym to feel like, hey, this is a big deal. So, how close are you to that,
1: and how much help can you get from the school? There are construction cranes just in operation all around UVU's campus. So, I mean, the construction boom around the campus for housing, even on the campus, in terms of the, the housing they want to build right, basically, on campus, it, it's going forward. They're talking about building a footbridge over the freeway which I I think that they, they had a permitting issue or something, so it's been pushed back a little bit when the footbridge goes up. As the housing continues to go up, it's just only going to build on the already amazing environment that's at UVU.
2: You spoke of California, and obviously you have deep connections there, having grown up there yourself, and you you from Northern California, you've worked in Southern California, so you got the whole state covered. Yeah. What uh, beyond that you think is going to be your
1: recruiting bases? Well, I think so. Far, I mean, we're looking at Vegas, California, uh, Phoenix, because they're in the conference. Fe- Phoenix, Phoenix is. You got to go up against Thunder Tan. Listen, are we going to see you at that game? Are we going to see you at the game, PK? I don't know which colors to wear, yeah, though. No, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> that's what I'm asking.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get Thunder Tan, Dan Marley mad at me. Are
0: you going to be like the, the president at the Army-Navy game? you like one half, one side, one half the other side, switch colors at half time. I did
2: attend Grand Canyon for a little bit. Mark and I were talking about that earlier this morning. <laughs> that's right.
1: Well, I, I mean, and so I hope to see you at that game, you, you know, but uh, – just in terms of, of what we're trying to build at Utah Valley, I'm excited. I'm, I, I could not be happier with, with the players we have in the program. We went out to the track yesterday morning at 7 a.m. to, to run some 400s. I'm, I'm not a huge coach that wants to have the guys at the track a lot. I, I don't. But I told him, I said, guys, we're going out there once this summer and we'll be out there this fall. We will be out there this fall, probably eight or 10 times because that's one thing Mike Montgomery did with us. And I can tell you right now, it helped me as a player. It helped me run faster in games. It helped my fitness. It helped me realize I can outrun other big guys. And so the work ethic that our guys are, are showing is, is unbelievable right now. Well, Mark, we appreciate an hour this morning.
0: Usually I say to guests we appreciate a few minutes, but you gave us a few more than that, and you gave some uh, some good stories, and we'll be intrigued following you. When you go to Rupp Arena and win, that'll be a big deal, right? (laughs) That's right, DJ. That's right. Exactly. All right. That's right. Well, thanks for coming in. We appreciate it. Thanks, DJ. Appreciate it. Mark Madsen, former Stanford Cardinal, former Laker, former Timberwolf. I kind of left that part out, didn't I? And now, the
3: head coach at UVU, DJ PK, It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.